I said yes, in case you hadn't figured that out. So you're stuck with me. Mark offered to do the music, but he didn't have anybody to run the, the system. And so I would have given you a break from looking at this, but hey, endure. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God hasn't tempted you beyond what you were able. So, have you all received the Christmas trivia quiz? So, I don't plan to uh, go through that directly. I will tell you there's an answer sheet available afterwards. Pick that up if you want to know the answers to these things. Some of them are kind of tricky. But I want to look today um, at Christmas. Because as a child, naturally, I looked forward to Christmas. As time went by, I began to learn why we celebrated it, right? Because that's when Jesus was born, right? Right. Once I became a believer... All kinds of what I call buzzkill information began to invade my delight in Christmas as I began to discover Jesus may not have been born on Christmas. Oh, that's kind of bad. That the day we celebrate Christmas may have been a holiday for heathens and so on. Bah humbug. Then I began to read my Bible. Okay, what is this all about? Okay, disappointments continued. <laughs> There's all kinds of things that aren't in there. And um, the traditional Christmas I had learned growing up was beginning to fade into a reality that I wasn't sure I really wanted to deal with. But what I found in Scripture is so fascinating and amazing that I find it much more valuable than my family traditions or any other holiday traditions. So what is this Christmas all about? Did any of you have a chance to read the passages this week? Make time? Okay. And so we're looking at two, two passages, right? Basically the first two chapters of Matthew and the first two chapters of Luke. Um, You, you might well see where I'm going today. If you didn't read them, we'll be talking about them. We'll, we'll get there. Um, but if you compare Christmas traditions with what scriptures say, you're going to find a lot of information missing. And I'm not saying they're bad. I want you to, uh, to just think about those. So that, that Christmas trivia sheet, um, I will refer to it a little bit as we go through but I'm not really going to dwell on it. That's for you to sit down with your Bible and figure out, okay, what is this Christmas thing all about? Uh, make sure you pick up your answer sheets when you leave. So the four Gospels are what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? They're each written from a different perspective, but they all are written about Jesus, right? Gospel means what? Good news, very good. And um, they're each written apparently to different audiences, okay? Matthew writes to the Jews, and he presents Jesus as the Messiah. 
Mark seems to be writing to the Romans, presenting Christ as servant. Luke is a physician, and he writes presenting Jesus as the man, Jesus. John writes pretty much to everyone, presenting Christ as God manifested in the flesh. So, anybody not know what a harmony of the Gospels is? Okay, harmony of the Gospels. Some of you, if you have a study Bible, it might be in there somewhere. Let me show you the format here real quick. You don't have to be able to read it to see what it's doing. Um, Here we go. So, if you take a harmony of the Gospels, you get something very useful because in a harmony, you have events that took place down the left column. Then you have Matthew and the references to that event in Matthew. And then Mark in the third column, Luke and John. And so a harmony gives us... um, helps us know where one of the other gospel writers talks about an event. It can really help you give insights into that event uh, to compare those because they're writing to different audiences. They're writing for different purposes. One will say things. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of things in common. John is almost always different. He's got a different purpose. He's got a different thing he wants to get across. And so some things are in all four. Most things are not. And what you'll find is the events of Christ's coming, his advent, his coming to earth, are mostly covered in Matthew and Luke. John writes a little bit about it, but it's not for this purpose. He doesn't give you really any direct insights into the birth and early days of Jesus. So that's why we're looking at Matthew and Luke. So the book of Matthew, what do we know about the book of Matthew? Who can tell me a couple of things about it? It's the first book of the New Testament. How long has it been since the Jewish people have heard from God? About 400 years. They're called the 400 silent years. Matthew um, breaks that 400 silent years, telling you what God is now beginning to do. He hasn't done anything with the Jews for that 400 years. He's listened to them, uh, but he hasn't given them any, any prophecy, any input whatsoever for 400 years. Think back 400 years. (laughs) right word 16 the year 1623 how many of you were what do we know about 400 years ago only what's written only what's shared right 1610 I think it was was when the King James Bible was translated into English King James felt people should have a Bible they could read. And so he did that. That's where we get the King James Bible. And it's been revised and changed as they found better information through the years. 
It is not inspired any more than any other translation is. The original writings were inspired by God. All of the translations are simply that. Man's effort to make God's word in a language that we can understand. So, Matthew chapter 1. After this 400 years, a lot has happened. The Jews are still looking for their Messiah. Matthew, as I said, writes the gospel um, to the Jews trying to present Jesus as the Messiah. So what does he start with? In Matthew 1, he starts with the background, if you will. The genealogy Matthew presents in Matthew 1 through 17 shows Jesus' ancestry. Look at the first verse. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right there, he's telling you a whole lot of information. Okay? Christ is a descendant of David and of Abraham. And then he goes through this genealogy, and I'm not going to read it, um, but it's basically because it brings us to Joseph. We see that in verse 16. And to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. All right? In that, this is his legal lineage because it goes through his father, so that gives him the legal lineage to be the Christ. Um, Notice that this lineage includes the prophesied lineage of the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. It also includes a Moabitess, Ruth. And it includes a harlot, Rahab. Okay? God can do his work through people who are willing to submit to him. Note verse 17, where it says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Fascinating. Abraham to Jesus in chunks of 14 generations. How coincidental is that? It's not. I see this as a fascinating reminder. God is the God of the past, the present, and the future. He is how all things work together for good. Romans 8.28 For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who love him. So then we move on into Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Call this the announcement. And and these are from the outline in my Bible, so they all begin with A. Some people really like that and benefit by that. I've I've always found it fascinating. I've never been able to do it myself. So the first one was his... um, Ancestry. Now we have his announcement. Um, so what are the facts about his announcement? 
We see in that passage, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but they had not had relations. Betrothed was considered the same as marriage. You were locked in, okay? But physical intimacy was not yet a part of their marriage. Once they were betrothed, they were betrothed, they were legally married. Typically, traditionally, the, the husband-to-be would go off, make arrangements for his wife, build a house, make arrangements, set up a place for them to live, um, whatever his job and that kind of a thing. He'd get ready for his wife and then come and get her. They'd have the marriage ceremony and consummate the marriage. But Mary was with child by the Holy Spirit, but had never been with a man. That's what, what this passage tells us. Um, so Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her. So he intended to put her away secretly, is the way my Bible says it. Basically, that's divorce. And let's do this in secret. I don't want her shamed. I want, you know, I, I, I don't want to uh, make this be an issue, okay? So he was out of love for her. He was desiring to do that, and probably consideration for his own well-being as well, I would think. In that culture, it was not a good thing to be of child out of wedlock. So as he pondered these things, an angel of the Lord told him three things. Not to fear the spiritual and cultural problems associated with Mary being pregnant, because that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. His name would be, he told him, his name would be Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. And he told him um, that she will bear a son and told him what his name would be. His name shall be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So this was all to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 7:14, where he said, A virgin shall bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph arose from his sleep and obeyed. He kept her a virgin until Jesus was born, and he called his name Jesus. Now, that's rather clinical in that passage. It just kind of tells you, lays this stuff out, right? Um, but we see that Joseph was concerned, and God sent an angel. And, and, and notice, um, told him not to be afraid to take Mary as your wife for these reasons. So then we move on to Matthew 2, adoration of the baby. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, also known as Herod the not-so-great, I mean Herod the Great. Magi, anybody look up that word? What does magi mean? Magicians, sorcerers, um, also 
They were often called magi that were the, the counselors of a king's court. Um, and in some cases, they may have even been kings themselves. So that's where you kind of get some of that coming in in tradition, that they're wise men or they're, um, or they're kings. The, 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 the song, The Three Kings, We Three Kings of Orient are. So these magi arrived to Jerusalem from the east, okay? And we're asking where the one born king of the Jews might be found. So they somehow knew from what they had in their documents and in their um, training that there was a star that would appear announcing the birth of the king of the Jews. Now, I don't know where that is, and I don't see it mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Okay, but they had that knowledge from somewhere. So they saw his star and came to worship him. Now, tradition tells us there were three and they were kings. But notice scripture doesn't say anything about that. Okay, it simply says they came. Um, It gives us no insight as to how many there were, but the term magi is plural. So there had to be two or more, right? So, fascinating what Scripture doesn't say about this. Their arrival and their question, where is the king of the Jews, disturbed. They troubled. They stirred up. King Herod, he was agitated. So he gathered the chief priests and the scribes to determine where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. They told him, Bethlehem of Judea, based on Micah 5.2. And that's right there in verse 6. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod secretly called for the Magi to come back or to ask them what time the star appeared. Okay, they apparently shared that information as we'll see as we go on down here. So Herod went ahead and sent them to Bethlehem to search for the child, then to come and tell him so he can go and worship him as well. That was not his intent as we see, as we read on. So you look then, um, verse 9 Having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them. Now, wait a minute. They came from the east. How does that make sense grammatically? What's that? Maybe they passed it going to Bethlehem? No? I don't, I don't think so. What I think is going on here, they had seen the star in the east, not that the star was in the east. The star was in the west. It was over, they were from the east. The star was over Bethlehem to the west. So they were in the east when they saw the star is another way I would understand that. Okay? So the star they had seen when they were in the east. Um, um, they, they saw it again. And they were... They were, they were um, 
They went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. You ever seen a star stand over something that you could locate on the ground? This is something supernatural. What does star mean? Luminous body is what this word means, basically. It's a light in the sky. All right? So, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Is God in control or what? So, this was a very special event. And they rejoiced exceedingly when they saw the star. They worshipped Jesus and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And there's all kinds of things that you'll hear about those, those gifts. Myrrh is for embalming. Gold is for riches. Frankincense, I can't remember what that's about. It's a, it's a sweet aroma, isn't it? Yeah, and I can't remember how they link that. Um, but these are three gifts specifically mentioned here in the passage. Um, and so... That's probably where they say there were three wise men or three magi. But um, there's only, only three gifts mentioned, but we don't know how many. Two of them could have brought gold and one frankincense and three of them brought myrrh. I don't know. They're all very valuable items. But anyhow, then what happened? They were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so they left a different way. Okay. Verse 12 tells us that. It doesn't say, I want you to notice, it doesn't say how long they stayed. So we don't know how much time elapsed before Herod realized he had been tricked by the Magi. Verse 16, as we go on here. So, reading on, verses 13 through 23 are labeled the advancement of Jesus as a boy. Joseph was told by an angel of the Lord to take his family and flee to Egypt and remain there because Herod was going to search for the child to destroy him. That would be a scary dream. Dennis? I didn't study up on Herod. I'm just... I was just kind of looking at this passage, and that, that could be, I don't know. But Joseph, here he is in a dream. Um, verse 13, And an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And so what did he do? Joseph fled to Egypt until he heard Herod was dead so that the prophecy might be fulfilled that out of Egypt, God would call his son. That's in Hosea 11.1. 1. Well, reading on, Herod became enraged and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all its area from two years old and under, according to what he had ascertained from the Magi. Do you ever think about this? Why wasn't John killed? We'll get to that in Luke. Why wasn't John killed? He was under two, probably. 
Sorry, I've got a problem here. About that and give me an answer in a minute. Well, as I looked at this and tried to discern what was going on there, we'll see in Luke that John, his parents actually, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, actually lived in the hill country of Judea. Well, the hill country of Judea is pretty big compared to the environment and the, the surroundings of Bethlehem. And so he was outside of the range that Herod was, was focused on. So anyway, prophecy with that killing of all the babies by, by Herod, the prophecy of that tragedy was fulfilled in Jeremiah 31.15. We can read that right there in verse 18. It's quoted, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. This is a prophecy from, from Jeremiah. So reading on, again, it, it, you got so much packed in and happening so quickly. When Herod was dead, an angel of the Lord told Joseph in a, in a dream to go to Israel because those who sought to kill the child were dead. I found it interesting that the hunters became the prey of death themselves. When they returned to Israel, Joseph learned that Herod's son was reigning over Judea. Judea. So he chose to go to Nazareth in Galilee, which is still in Israel. And that fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus would be called a Nazarene of verse 23. And the prophecy comes from Isaiah. They, they don't have a direct quote for that. But Nazarenes were known to be despised and contemptible. And that's what uh, Isaiah 53.3 says, is that uh, he would be despised and contemptible. Um, we see that in John 1.46 when Christ asks, I had his name. Well, let's look. John 1.46 Uh, the, uh, the brother, Nathaniel, thank you. And Nathaniel said to him, Philip had just told him, I think we found the Christ from Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Kind of like the people of Ben say about Lapine, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, the, the writer, Matthew, here is convinced that um, this was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, or, I'm sorry, um, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. And he doesn't say where, where that came from. So, that takes us up then... Um, That takes us up through chapter 2 of Matthew. Let's go over to Luke.
chapter 1, look at some more about Jesus coming and uh, what it has to say. And it's, it's an, you know, we're looking at some long passages here, and that's why I've tried to kind of summarize. Um, so Luke 1, verses 5 through 25, is the announcement of John the Baptist. Um, let's look a little bit about Luke, though. What, did, what, did, what was Luke known for? He was what? A doctor, a physician. What else do we know about him? Was he Greek? Yeah. Yeah, I think he was Greek. What else do we know? What's he writing? Who's he writing to? Theophilus, right? We see that. And um, it comes out right here in verse 3 of chapter 1. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. What does Theophilus mean? What's that? Lover of God, friend of God. Um, So that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So his effort here and like I said earlier, he's, to present, he's trying to present Jesus as the Son of Man. The man, basically. And it appears he's writing to the Romans. Now, the Romans were the bad guys in that day, including Herod. And so, when you have correspondence with somebody about the bad guys probably don't tell all the bad things. I note that he doesn't tell about Herod killing all the babies. That's not in his account. It's not what he needed. And I I, I find these things fascinating. Okay, so let's look at what are the facts in this passage here, 5 through 25. The announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Wait, I thought we were talking about Jesus. Well, we are, but they're intertwined, and this is important. Okay, Zacharias was a priest of the division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was of the daughters of Aaron. Who was Aaron? Moses' brother, right? Aaron was her ancestor. She was of a priestly family. So uh, uh, Zacharias is a priest, means he had to be a descendant of Levi or Aaron. Um, and... Um, No, he had to be a Levite. And she was of the priestly family from Aaron. Elizabeth, uh, oh, they were both righteous in the sight of God. That's what it says here. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So, these are a couple of good people. These are the good guys. All right? Elizabeth was barren. And they were advanced in years. Who can relate to advanced in years? What does that mean? What are they saying with that? Hi, Barbara. Old, right. Too old for kids, right? Zacharias had been selected by lot for the burning of incense in the Holy of Holies when an angel of the Lord appeared to him to the right of the altar of incense. So picture this. Where is he at? He's in the temple, 
right? And in the Holy of Holies, what's that mean? What was in there? The Ark of the Covenant, right? And it had, it had the um, cherubim, the, the mercy seat, right? And the only other thing in there was the altar of incense, where they burned incense. Yeah. No, it was it was still it was still there. It was the one that um, had to be rebuilt to replace uh, Solomon's temple. It was the one, and and um, was it? He- I thought it was Hezekiah, but anyway, this is a this is a less glamorous temple than Solomon had. And the and the ark, yeah, was there. No, they, they, they had maintained the ark. They had gotten it back. I can't remember. I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't check that out. I apologize. Okay. So uh, I will put that down, and I'll do some research on that, and I'll report back. So, because I, I want to know, now, now that curious minds have given me a curiosity there, I want to know. So, he, uh, the altar of incense was in front of the Ark of the Testimony, according to Exodus 40, verse 5. So, Zacharias is in the Holy of Holies. When he saw the angel, he was troubled, and fear gripped him. You're in a place that, is only entered once a year, right? And all of a sudden, there's somebody standing there to the right of the altar you're facing. That would startle you, right? Um, So what did the angel tell him? Not to be afraid, yep. Um, Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Angels must be really scary. Um, He told him not to be afraid and that he would have a son by Elizabeth who would be named John and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. What do we know about the Holy Spirit up to this point? Not a whole lot. We know Saul was given the Holy Spirit when he was made king. And we know God took the Holy Spirit from him when he sinned against God. Uh, Look at Psalm 51. What's Psalm 51 famous for? David and... Yeah. It's where he's basically confessing his sin with Bathsheba. And you'll see that. What's the title of it there? For the choir director, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. And he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. And he goes on talking. But notice here, um, verse 11. Well, verse 10 and 11. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit came and went based on God's will. Um, the, the king needed to have the Holy Spirit. Um, this was something in the Old Testament. He came to certain prophets, didn't come to others. Um, all of God's prophets could only prophesy by the Holy Spirit. Um, that's why if any prophet failed to accurately prophesy, he'd be stoned. He was to be killed because it wasn't from God. If it didn't come true, it wasn't from God. And so being a prophet was not, not a safe job, if you will. Or you make sure you're only listening to God and nobody else. So um, so uh, the, he told him the, that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. That hadn't been heard of. All right? Their son would turn back many to the Lord, and he will go as a forerunner before the Messiah, as Malachi prophesied. Well, Zacharias doubted the angel's message. The angel told him when he doubted, and let's look at that. Um, Verse 18, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. Um, so Zechariah doubted. The angel told him who he was and told him he would be silent, unable to speak until all of this took place. When Zacharias came out of the temple, the others realized he had seen a vision because of his silence. He made signs to them, but he remained mute. Then Elizabeth became pregnant and remained secluded for five months. She was off in seclusion. Let's move on. Luke 1, 26 through 56. This is the announcement of Jesus, the Son of Man. What are the facts? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Nazareth to a virgin, Mary, engaged to a man named Joseph of the descendants of David. Gabriel greeted Mary with, Hail, favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, <laughs> we've noticed angels are scary, right? Here's a virgin, and this, this angel, it says, verse 28, and coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, for the Lord is with you. Wow. That'd kind of shake you to your boots. I would think so. I mean... I just can't imagine what was going on there. But Mary, 
um, was greatly troubled at this statement, it says. And um, Gabriel said to her not to fear. Again, they must be pretty scary because she has found favor with God. And he went on, and behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary doubted Gabriel because she was a virgin. I haven't known a man. He explained that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would be with child who would be called the Son of God. That's in verse 35. Then he told her about Elizabeth, her relative, being with child in her old age and that nothing is impossible with God. So remember, she's um, related to Elizabeth. Mary, what did Mary say? Behold, bond slave, bond servant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. So why was Zacharias punished, but Mary wasn't? Did you ever think about that? Zacharias doubted, Mary doubted. He was old and should have been wise. All right. He had precedence. What happened? No, he had, he had precedence, right? It was recorded in Scripture that he knew he was a priest, that Abraham and Sarah had had children in their old age. So he, this was a precedent he would have been familiar with as a priest. No virgin, though, had ever had a child before. So Mary was justified to have some doubts. But she went with it. So Mary went with haste, it says, to the hill country in Judah to see Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I've never carried a baby, but I bet it hurt. Um, so the baby leaped in her womb, and who was filled with the Holy Spirit? Elizabeth. And Elizabeth cried with a loud voice. And we're looking 41. Um, Forty-two. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? How did Elizabeth know this stuff? the Holy Spirit. This is fascinating. God is in total control over what's going on here. I want us to notice that. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Yeah. I mean, but that's what had been told, remember? He was told... um, Zacharias was told, the baby wasn't told that, no. But the baby was filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. Fascinating. 
Then Mary said, and this is sometimes called the Magnificat of Mary from the first word of the Latin translation of this passage. My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed about three months, then returned home to Nazareth. That's fascinating. Look at the insights Mary has as to what's going on here. This whole passage is just amazing. So moving on, Luke 51 or 57 through 80, is the advent of John the Baptist. Advent, as we talked about earlier, is a coming into being or into use. Elizabeth gave birth to a son, and all who knew her were were rejoicing that God had displayed mercy on her by giving her a son. On the eighth day, when he was to be circumcised, they were going to name him Zacharias after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, He will be named John. When they asked Zacharias, he requested a tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all astonished. Nobody in your family has that name. Why would you name him John? And at once, Zacharias could speak and was praising God. And all the people of the hill country of Judah were wondering what this boy would turn out to be because the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, beginning in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. How does he know that? Fascinating, right? And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. So that's John the Baptist at his birth. Then we go into the advent of Jesus, the Son of Man. We read here, Caesar Augustus decreed a census be taken of all the inhabited earth while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All had to register for the census in the city of his own birth. Joseph went from Nazareth 
which is where they lived, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. That's a distance of over 60 miles. Mary gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem because she was with him, right? Where do you see that she rode a donkey that 60 miles? Tradition tells us she rode a donkey. I don't see it in scripture. Maybe she did. I mean, that only makes sense. That's a very practical thing. You've got a pregnant lady needing to walk 60 miles, and she's close because for this census, she gave birth. But it's like, it's amazing what we add to Scripture. And it seems so innocent. Um, so Mary gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You ever look up that word? In? It's, a, um, it's translated in the three uses. Two of them is translated guest room. It's referred to families with houses had guest rooms, place for guests to stay. Um, may well have been referring to a relative's house because he's coming to the place of his birth. So probably, possibly a relative. In the account of the Good Samaritan, where he patches the guy up and takes him, takes him to an inn and tells the innkeeper to take care of him, that's a different word. Um, that word carries the idea of public lodging place, like we would think of as an inn today. The other inn doesn't carry that idea. So, on your, on your sheet, where's the innkeeper? Did the innkeeper say anything? Was an innkeeper even mentioned in this? No. There's no room for them at the guest room is the best way to translate that. I find that fascinating. In the area of Bethlehem, reading on, there were shepherds in the fields watching their flocks by night. An angel appeared before them telling them not to be afraid. Remember, angels are scary. Because <laughs> they always have to, it's the first thing you see most of the time. Don't be afraid. You know, fear not. And so the glory of the Lord shone around them, and the angel told them, talking to shepherds now, that he brings good news of great joy for all people. He told them where to find the baby Jesus, wrapped in cloths in a manger, right? Now that's another thing about about. Houses often had a place where they would take care of animals that needed special care or maybe their only livestock. They would often have a room right in the built right into the house where that animal was with a manger in it to feed the animal. And so that was a very common thing. So it's not, not that big of a surprise that uh, he was in a manger. But then it says, suddenly... A multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, wait, they aren't singing? The word there is, is um, luganton, which means to say or to speak. The word for singing in Greek is also in the Bible, but it wasn't used here. There's two Greek words for singing or sing is edo and hymneo like hymns. These angels apparently said, 
these things. Said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The angels left and the shepherds went into Bethlehem right away. They shared what had happened and all of the hearers wondered. Mary treasured it all and pondered it in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. They'd been impressed. Not a whole lot else shared there, right? Luke 20, or 2, 21 through 40. <laughs> As we get there. So at eight days, Jesus was circumcised and given his name. Mary remained unclean for 33 more days, according to Leviticus 1 through 8. You can see the rules for um, a lady giving birth to a male child, especially the first one. Then they went to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice. The sacrifice they share here is a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's the sacrifice of those who can't afford a lamb. They weren't wealthy. Why didn't they have the gold from the, from the Magi at this point? Because the Magi weren't there yet. We're going to see that. Simeon was there, a righteous man and a devout man who was looking for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit had told him he would not see death until he first saw the Lord's Christ. When Joseph and Mary brought Jesus in for the dedication, Simeon took him in his arms and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Joseph and Mary were amazed at the things said of Jesus. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. <coughs> also in the temple was a prophetess named Anna who was advanced in years, since she was 84, who never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. She came up to them at that moment and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him, the baby, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 40, and the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Do you see anything in here about Christmas trees? <laughs> see anything in here about hanging lights? Do you see anything in here about family gatherings? The things we get uptight about have nothing to do with what, what the biblical account of Jesus coming here is. 
your, your Christmas trivia quiz, the last question, ask, what was Jesus here for? Yeah, why did he come? Did he come to give us a nice story and make us feel all warm and fuzzy? No. This was all about the plan God had since before the world began. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. We're running out of time. Write them down and look them up. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21 and other places. He came that we might have life. He came to take the punishment for our sins. This little baby came to die for us. That's the whole purpose of his advent. So what should we take away from all of this? Or as Isaac says, so what? What does this mean to me? That's part of it. We do observation of what scripture says. We do interpretation to understand what it's saying. But then what, what's it mean to me? Well, I found three. There's probably many, many more. But three that I wanted to bring out. The events surrounding Jesus' birth fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies and promises. So, because of who God is, the, the ones, the prophecies and promises that are not fulfilled will be fulfilled as he has promised. Another one is, it's easy to let traditions and misinformation slip in to change the focus on biblical truths. We see this at Christmas time. We see it in songs. We see it in how people live for Christ. Matthew 7, where he says, Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and perform many miracles in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. You've done those things, but you haven't done them my way. So that's not of me. That's the danger of not getting things right. The last point I'd like us to think about is it's okay to have traditions to celebrate. And I had a, there's a little tract put out by uh, Answers in Genesis on the holidays. Bodhi Hodge wrote it. And it talks about, actually, yeah, Christmas is pretty, might be pretty close. The early church actually celebrated December 25th, what we call December 25th. Um, celebrated Christ's coming at that time, but um, then perhaps pagan holiday was they were jealous and they wanted their own holiday, so they had one at the same time. And then now we're getting accused of taking a pagan holiday to make Christmas. Have your traditions. Celebrate them. Your family gatherings, your Christmas trees, your, your giving of presents, all of that. But keep the focus on who Jesus is. And what was he here for? Do you understand we teach the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're equal. God himself emptied himself to pay the, take the penalty for our sins. That's the importance of Christmas. 
that God is in control. This little baby, vulnerable as a human, and a king after him to kill him. God's bigger than that problem. God protected him. God's bigger than any problem you have in your life. And I just wanted us to be thinking about that as we enter into the holiday season. Enjoy your traditions. Make yourselves um, available to, to have joy and happiness with family and friends. But hold on to that focus of what, what's, what is it really all about. That's my encouragement to you at this time. Let's close. Lord, we do thank you and praise you. You saw that we could do nothing to save ourselves. There's nothing in us worthy of our own salvation. You knew you had to do it. You knew that uh, your plan had to have a way for people to escape the consequences of their bad choices. Thank you for providing that, Lord, for those who trust you, those who are willing to let you have your way in our lives. We trust you. We love you. Use us in the lives of others, Lord, to spread the truth and to help people come to you to make disciples as you have called us to do, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, we'll do one song in closing. It is Emmanuel. Oops, went too far. Practice, I take it, Roxy, for the children who are here. Practice for the children who are here. Okay. And no men's discipleship tonight. Thank you all very much.